Good morning. I'm always blown away by how if all of us, we prepare our little bits separately during the week and then when it all comes together, it's all, always got the same theme in it. And it's just a wonder to, to see the power of the Holy Spirit at work. Um, this is a prayer of corporate thanksgiving based on Ephesians chapter 1. So let us pray. Praise be to you, our God and Father, for giving us through our Lord Jesus every possible spiritual benefit. It is hard to fathom sometimes that before the foundation of the world, you chose us to become, in Christ, your holy and blameless children. We are so thankful that we live in your constant care and that in your love you have adopted us as your very own children. We thank you for Jesus because it is at the cost of his own blood that we are redeemed and freely forgiven through your full and generous grace which has overflowed into our lives and opened our eyes to your truth. Oh God, you have allowed us to know the secret of your plan, namely that everything that exists in heaven or earth shall find its perfection and fulfilment in Jesus. And the staggering thing to us is that in all which will one day belong to Jesus, we have been promised to share. We can only exclaim, wow. We are so encouraged that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, you stamped us with the promised Holy Spirit. This stamp you placed on us is your guarantee of our purchase until that day when you complete the redemption of what Jesus has paid for, and that will again be to the praise of your glory. We pray that you will give us spiritual wisdom and insight to know more of you, that we may receive the inner illumination of the Spirit, which will make us realise how great is the hope to which you are calling us. We thank you for the church because we know the church is the body of our Lord Jesus. It is made full and complete by him who fills all things everywhere with himself. We find that amazing and we give you praise, honour and glory. We are overwhelmed by all that we have because of your dear son Jesus and it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's wonderful to be together. It's wonderful to praise the Lord together. Lovely hearing your beautiful voices as we lift up his name this morning. Uh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And kids, you guys are going to be in this morning, so it's great to be able to speak to you as well as we uh, speak about Acts chapter 27. And before we get to that, we sang a song that... Um, there's been a lot of contention over the words of, of this particular song. I don't know if you've noticed that the word still, the song still says that I will rise with you above the storm. And lots of theologians have had a problem with that line because Jesus walks with us through the storm. Um, and he promises to be with us in the storm. And yet, because Jesus has the power over sin and death, he has won the victory, he is higher than it. When we are with him, he does lift us up. So both are true in a way, in a sense, alongside of each other. So, But we're going to be talking about storms this morning because uh, we are up to Acts chapter 27 in our series on Acts, the second to last chapter. <laughs> oh, I'm getting sad. Um, and it's a famous 
chapter in the book of Acts because it's one of adventure, there's drama, there's, there's things going on. In fact, if you were to write a children's Bible and pick like the good bits that were good for children's Bibles, this is one of the chapters that you'd put in it because it's a, it's a story about storms and shipwrecks and God's miraculous power to save people. Yet it's also a famous uh, chapter because Luke was very diligent in describing historically what was happening at the time. And did you know that historian, historians have actually used Acts chapter 27 to study what sailors did during those times? The way that they sailed, the, the methods that they used and the, the styles of, of sailing have been... So historians have actually used, because Luke was so diligent in, in being very particular about certain things in, in the story. So, But just to recap for us because it was before Easter that we left the book of Acts. Paul was before King Agrippa and Felix, and he's on trial yet again, and yet again they cannot find anything wrong with him. But because he's appealed to Rome, he's appealed to Caesar, um, even though they thought he was innocent, he has to go to Rome. And so he is on now sent on a boat to go to Rome, to go to Emperor Nero to plead his case. And uh, along the way... Um, Paul has always said he wanted to go to Rome. He's, he wrote about it in his letters. Uh, he speaks about it in Acts. He has this desire, he has this heart set on going to Rome. And you think, well, why Rome? What, what's so particular about Rome, Paul? Why, why are you wanting to get there? And Paul was an evangelist. Paul wanted to take seriously the thought of, of the, the word going out from Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And the Roman Empire was at its height at the time that this was all happening. In fact, if you, this is, AD 117 was the height of the Roman Empire. So it's probably about, I don't know, 70, 80 years before what's happening with Paul right now. But right at the, the center of the Roman Empire is Rome. And so if you're wanting to the gospel to go spread to the ends of the earth, why not get to Rome and, and proclaim the gospel and from there um, centralise Christianity to be able to go through the Roman Empire? So this is his heart's desire. And so he is sent, because of time, we're going to skip through the early parts of the chapter, but a, a centurion named Julius is going to be taking Paul from Felix to Nero, and he's, he's going to be his prisoner with him. But one thing we notice about centurions in the New Testament, I don't know if you've noticed this, but they're always painted in a good light. Centurions are, are men of character. The Romans seem to have a good idea of picking their military leaders, but they weren't very good at picking their political leaders. But their, their military leaders were always men of great honour and integrity, and Julius is, is no different. In fact, if you think about the, the centurions in the New Testament, remember the, the one that came to Jesus and said, my, my servant needs, needs healing, just speak the word and it will be done. And Jesus said, I've never seen such faith in all of Israel. And he's speaking about a Roman centurion. And remember the centurion at the foot of the cross when the earth shook and the sky went dark and the curtain was torn in two. The centurion was the one that declared, surely this was the son of God. And of course, there's Cornelius in Acts. 
who's a, a, a believer. He's, he prays to God. He gives to the poor. He lives an upright life. A great description of a Christian, a Roman centurion. And, and it's, he's the first one that Peter comes to and the Gentile uh, are saved through faith um, in, through Cornelius. And we've got Julius now in the same way. Uh, who is this great character. In fact, Julius does something that no centurion would ever have done. If, if we look at verse 3, the next day we landed at Sidon and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go to his friends so that they might provide for his needs. Now that would never happen because if a prisoner escaped a Roman soldier, then what was the punishment for the prisoner would then be given to the soldier. So Paul could have easily, like, he's just going to go off and hang out and have morning tea with his friends. (laughs) He could have easily just wandered off. But he trusted Paul to be able to come back. So there's there's something already happening with Julius and Paul. And we're going to be following what happens for Julius the centurion through the story. So just to fast forward, he's here in Caesarea and he's on trial they go to Sydney and they, they follow the coast because it's much easier to sail close to the coast. And here at Myra, they, they get an, an a Egyptian grain ship to board. Now, here's what an Egyptian grain ship looked like back in the time. And we're going to discover that this is not a great ship to sail in a storm. You might notice that it doesn't have a rudder. It just had two big oars at the back that they used to steer and it had one sail that was just set flat. They couldn't turn the sail. So if you're in a storm, you want to head into the wind so that the wind goes past the sail and you can use the rudder to steer. They couldn't do either of those two things. So it was kind of a, a disaster waiting to, to happen. But anyway, <clears throat> so they, they, they board this ship and now the prisoners are on a grain ship and they're trying to get to Rome over here. And they end up here in on the island of Crete at Fairhavens, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. So if you want to turn to your Bibles, we're going to look at verse 9. Actually, before we get to that, we're going to be looking at physical storms here in, in the book of Acts. And there's great parallels that we can learn, not only in the physical storms that we go through as followers of Christ, but also spiritual storms that we we head into and that we uh, encounter as we have our journey following Jesus. No, no one can can anyone say that their their faith has been just smooth sailing. <laughs> but there are great parallels as we look at the the spiritual storms that come. We have. We have an enemy that likes to attack us in our faith. And many of the storms that come in our life are from the enemy. However, some of the storms that we face in our lives are storms that God allows to happen in order to grow us, in order to better us, and to order us to have our focus on him. And that's what we're going to be looking at as well this morning. So verse 9, much time had been lost sailing around, and it had already become dangerous because it was now the day after atonement. So the time now is October. That's when the day of atonement was. And they had a saying back then, which was it was kind of safe in September, 
but there's no way of sailing on the Mediterranean Sea come November. So they're kind of in the middle here. They're in October. They're kind of, well, we can maybe make it, but come November, there's no way of getting across the Mediterranean Sea because of the winter. And so um, so Paul warned them. He said, men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to the ship and cargo and to our lives also. But the centurion, Julius, instead of listening to what Paul said, he followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. Since the harbour was unsuitable to winter in, the majority, majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was a harbour in Crete facing uh, south and northwest. So if we go back to our, our map, if I can, there we go. Um, they're in Fair Havens. They want to, Phoenix was here. Basically what's going on is that they're saying Fairhavens is kind of a, a dead-end town. There's no nightlife. There's no – if we're going to be here for all of winter, we don't want to just hang out here for months and months. Let's try and get to a, a town where there's a bit of nightlife, where there's a, a pub we can go to and have a you know $15 schnitzel on Thursday night, um, that sort of thing. Because we don't want to be stuck here for the whole time. So – Their desire for their own selfishness and their own comfort is driving their decision to go forward. And even though Paul is warning them, and now Paul is not just, he's not prophesying over them that this is going to be happening. He's actually been shipwrecked. He says in 2 Corinthians, he's been shipwrecked three times and he's been on a float a day and a night. He actually knows what he's talking about in his missionary journeys. He's been around, he's been on boats, he, he knows the time of the year. He knows that they don't have compasses that they sail by night. And so if it gets cloudy, they're not going to be able to see the stars. They're not going to know where they're going. So he, he knows what he's talking about. He has reason. And yet the soldier and the cargo people don't listen to region, re, to, to logic, to reason. They listen to their own selfish desires. And it's a really interesting point to make that storms challenge our comfort. The centurion was swayed by the crew's desire to not be at Fairhaven. So rather than listen to that, they wanted to be comfortable. They wanted to be physically comfortable. And you and I want to be physically comfortable. It's something that we as humans pursue, isn't it? I think we also want to be spiritually comfortable. We want things to just be as they are, things to be easy, things to just follow the same pattern, things to be not challenged. But I believe that you and I, every now and then, we need our comfort challenged. We need our spiritual comfort challenged. It's very easy to get stuck in a rut spiritually, to just do the same thing, week after week, day after day, and just follow the comfort. Do you know when you talk about getting stuck in a rut, do you know where that phrase came from, kids? Do you know where that stuck in a rut phrase came from? When the early colonists were colonising America, they didn't do it with trains, they didn't do it with trucks, they had wagon and pony 
and the wagons had wagon wheels and you'd follow the road and if it was a bit mushy, they would sink down and it would create a rut. And then the next person would come past and it would create a rut. And because the wagon wheels were quite big, that you couldn't actually get out of the rut. You were stuck in the rut until you reached the end of the ruts. If I got a, a picture of one here. This is actually fossilised in a creek bed of um, the early time in America where the, the wagons went through. And they actually had... Uh, signs up at the start of roads that said, beware of ruts, uh, because if you get stuck in it, you'll be in it for the next 25 miles. So, because you can't get out. So, you, you have to go that direction. You have to just keep doing the same thing. You're stuck in a rut. You're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. In, in Jeremiah, there's this wonderful picture where the Lord describes Moab. I want to read it to you. It's from um, Jeremiah 48. I'm going to start at verse 11. Listen to this. And it's talking about how they used to make wine. Moab has been at rest from youth, like wine left on its dregs, not poured out from one jar to another. She has not gone into exile, so she tastes as she did, and her aroma is unchanged. But the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send men to pour from jars and they will pour her out. They will empty her jars and smash her jugs. Talking about the destruction of Moab. But it's a picture when they used to make wine that the wine would just settle in, in the barrels and the goodness would just get to the, to the bottom. And it needed to be shaken up. It needed to be poured from one barrel into another to allow the taste to mature and to grow. And it's this negative picture of Moab just resting from its youth, just being still and not being agitated, not being poured out, just settling until all of its goodness is there at the bottom of the barrel. Friends, do we need shaking up in our spiritual lives? Do we need pouring out? Do we need to get out of that spiritual rut that we see ourselves in day by day? Well, perhaps the storms that God allows in our lives to come allow us to break out of that rut, to shake us in our, our wine barrels in order for us to have the flavour of life that he desires for us to have. We don't go looking for being shaken up, do we? No one goes, hey, I want to go out and be shaken up today. Yet sometimes we need it. Sometimes we need breaking out of that mould of following the same path day in, day out, of allowing ourselves to just settle into that comfort zone. So storms challenge our comfort. On in the story, verse 13 when a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, a wind of Hurricane Forth called the Northeaster swept down from the island, and the ship was caught up by the storm, and they could not head into the wind because of the boat. So we gave way to it and were driven along. So wherever the wind drew them, they went. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Claudia, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure. So the men hoisted aboard and then they passed ropes under the ship 
itself to hold it together. So they're basically the the ship's starting to fall apart, and they're they're tying it together like you would I don't know like a roast lamb. You want to tie it together so it doesn't fall apart. So that that that's what they used to do, and because they were afraid that they would run aground on the the sandbars, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle, which is kind of like all the furniture and all the, the things that, that are part of the ship, overboard with their own hands. I'm going to skip to verse 38 here when they say that they lighten the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. So notice what the crew did. When they, when they were in danger. They threw the cargo, they threw the furniture, and ultimately they threw the very thing that they were transporting to Rome over into the sea. Now you might think, well, that's, that's sensible, that's a good idea to lighten the load of the ship. But every single crew member, when they get to Rome, would not get paid because the grain was thrown overboard. It's like if you, I don't know, wanted to buy a, a TV from Harvey Norman or something, you paid for delivery, and the, the delivery truck comes to your door and says, I'm, I'm here for the delivery, and you say, great, where's my TV? Oh, I don't have it. You're not going to pay them, are you? <laughs> you? You expect the delivery to come. And so this grain ship from Egypt is going to Rome, and if they don't have the grain, every, so, every, every um, person on that boat is not going to get the paycheck. And so they're now going, okay, it's either life or it's money. What's more value to us? And storms reorder our values. When a storm comes in our life, it reorders our values. If you've gone through a health scare in your life, I'm sure this is very true for you. All of a sudden, the the boat, the paying off the mortgage, the the whatever you're achieving in your, your vocation, your job, all of that just gets put aside, doesn't it? And all of a sudden you get perspective on life and you get reordered in your values about what is actually important. In being part of a, stu- a spiritual storm, we can get perspective. We can get perspective on what's of value. There's a great story of a wrestler from Turkey called uh, the Terrible Turk called Yusuf the Turk. I don't know if you've heard of this story. He was a wrestler that no one could beat in the 1890s. And he travelled to America to compete and beat the best that there was in America. And he beat the American, he became the world champ in wrestling, but he was so full of himself that he said, I needed to get paid in gold coin got paid $5,000 in the 1800s in gold coin. And he had a a belt around his waist that he carried all of his gold with, his treasures with with him, to sort of show off how good he was. And that, that was his value. That's what he valued in life was his gold, was his prestige, was how he was perceived by other people. On the trip back to Europe, the ship that he was on sank. And he had his gold belt with him. And while other people could swim to safely, he was weighed down and sank and drowned. Now, I wonder if you could get into his mind as he was on his way to the bottom of the sea, thinking, mate, 
do you want to reorder your values now? <laughs> He's thinking, man, if I could only take off this money belt, this thing that I treasure, this thing that I put so much value in, if I could only get rid of that, I could have saved my life. And it's the same with us. As we go through our spiritual storms, it allows us to reorder our values. And so on to verse 20. And here we have this pivotal point in the story. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days. Now, many of us read the story and go, oh, yeah, they got shipwrecked. It was two weeks they were out in the sea. (laughs) Two weeks that they couldn't see where they were going, didn't know what was going on, that they were in terror. For many days, and the storm continued raging, finally we gave up all hope of being saved. Not one person on board the ship had any hope at all that they were going to survive this storm. I think this is a great picture of what also storms do for us. Sometimes they get us to the point where, you know what, I can no longer rely on my ability to sail. I can no longer rely on on my power to do what I can do to manoeuvre this boat, to manoeuvre and get to where I need to get to. The only hope I have is in the power of God. The only hope I have is for him to save. And, of course, that's what happens in the story. It's not the sailor's ability to do what they can do. It's not whether they do the right thing with the ropes or the, the sails or the anchors. It's now only up to God to save. But everyone has lost hope, all except one man. Here's Paul, calm as. Now, Paul's whole life has been a life of storms. <laughs> he's been here before, so he's got some experience. Yet Paul has something that no one else on that ship has. He has faith. He has trust that God is going to do what he's going to do. He is a promise keeper. And Jesus has appeared to Paul in prison and said, as you've testified to me in Jerusalem, so you're going to testify to me in Rome. So he's on a mission from God. He's going to do what he says. You know, Corrie ten Boom says, if God sends you on a stormy path... He'll give you strong shoes for the journey. So Paul knows this and he stands up and he says, after they've gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them. He said, men, you should have taken my advice. (laughs) Well, thanks for that, mate. We, We know that. Don't rub it in. You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves and the damage and loss. But what he's saying there is like, you know, I've got some credit now. You should have listened to me and now listen to me again. If you didn't listen to me there, now listen to me. Now I urge you to take up courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you all the lives of all who sail with you. Wow, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Not only is Paul saved, but the entire crew, not because of their own works, but because of the grace of God. Again, that's a parallel to our spiritual situation. 
So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Oh, nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. <laughs> but he had faith that God, what will happen, what he said will happen, is going to happen. Storms give us the opportunity to exercise faith. This is probably one of the biggest lessons that we can learn from our, our spiritual storms. Has God promised you something in your life? As we sang those songs about, you know, I'm a child of God, I am who you say I am, all those declarations of truth about who we are and about who God is, sometimes we lose sight of that and it's the storms that bring us back and allow us to exercise the faith to go, well, God said this, therefore I need to trust in it. I need to have faith in it that he will pull me through the storm. That even though I go through the shadow of death, he is there beside me. That he will lead me to greener pastures. That he will lift me up on his wings. That he will carry me through the storm. I have faith in not my own ability. I have faith not in someone else's expertise. I have faith not in what someone else says about God, but I have faith about what God says about the situation. And now Julius is starting to see the picture. There was a, there's a great saying that I came across that it's, it's very easy to believe in God, but what's difficult is to believe God. In other words, to trust in what he says. It's very easy to go, well, yeah, I can see that there's a creation, there must be a creator, and yet there's a God out there. But when God speaks his truth, that's really hard. That requires faith. That requires trust in the midst of what is going on. And so now Julius is no longer listening to the crew. He's now listening to Paul and he's listening to God. He, he listened to them before and it got them in trouble. And now he's starting to listen to Paul. Can I? I think you can. And so on the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea and about midnight the sailors sensed that we were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet. So they had these ropes uh, and with weights on that they could work out how deep, deep they were in. A short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, <clears throat> they dropped four anchors. Now, just remember that, four anchors. I'm going to come back to that. From the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the ship, the sailors let the lifeboat down from the sea and pretending that they were going to lower some anchors. So they're like, let's jump in the lifeboat. <laughs> now, this is, again, a great parable. The, the word has been spoken that, Everyone on the ship's going to be saved. But they're going, okay, well, it's hard to trust that word. I'm going to get my own plan B happening. I'm going to get my own lifeboat just in case God doesn't pull through. And I think that's what each and every one of us do. God's said he's going to do what he's going to do. And we need to stick with the plan, stick on the boat in order for that plan to happen. But just in case... I'm going to get my little lifeboat 
and, and have it there at the ready so I can jump in that just in case God doesn't pull through, in case I don't have the faith. And that's what we're saying. But, but Julius the centurion is like, nah, sorry. Paul said to the centurion, look, unless these men stay with the ship, they can't be saved. Now he's going to listen to Paul. Now he's going to listen to the word that's been given. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and let it drift away. Let's just scoot on to verse 39. And when daylight came, they did not recognise the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship against uh, ground if they could, cutting loose the anchors. Now, we talked before about four anchors. Fun fact, I like doing fun facts. In 1970, some teenagers were um, diving off the coast of Malta at a bay where there's a sandy beach at 90 feet deep. Do you remember that they're at 90 feet deep? And these teenagers found some Roman anchors. They found four Roman anchors. And if you go to the Malta Museum, Maritime Museum, there are the four anchors that are at the depth that they, Luke said that they're at and at the location that Luke said that they're at. Now, that's no proof that this is the four anchors that were cut. I'm not saying that. But it's really interesting that they were found. And if you go to the museum, there's no mention of this story at all. It just says this is an example of four Roman anchors found off the Bay of Malta. (laughs) But they dropped these four anchors and uh, the host of the four sail made for the beach, but the the ship struck the sandbar and ran aground. The bow struck fast and they would not move, and the stern was broken into pieces, pounded by the surf. Wow. Now, remember what I said about the centurions? If the punishment, if a, if a prisoner got escaped, the punishment would become theirs. So they're thinking, all the prisoners are going to escape. This is going to be terrible for our career. So <clears throat> let's, just, let's just take them all out, and that way, you know, we'll, we'll be okay. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life. Isn't that interesting? He'd heard Paul, he'd had, in a way, a conversion to be trusting in the word that was spoken and he was following that true and he had faith that some of the travelling companions perhaps didn't have and so he ordered that um, those who could swim jump aboard and the rest were to get on planks of the, the ship that were left over and because of their surf, they would surf back into the... No, no. They, they got on the planks and they went into the shore and this way everyone got saved. Now, there were 276 people on board that ship and every one of them got saved just as Paul declared would happen. Now, that is a surprising result. And you know what? Storms produce unexpected results. If we're following that path, that spiritual rut, and we're just going this way, we know where our destiny is. But if we're shaken out of that, if, if God through storms of our lives helps us to maybe go down a different path or to, to come in contact with different people or different scenarios in our life, then the result of that is different to what we planned. 
What we planned to happen was over here, but what God plans to happen is sometimes over here, and he needs the storm to blow us into the direction that he wants for us to experience in our lives. 276 people had the opportunity to hear Paul on that boat. 276 people who would have just sailed and gone to Rome and unlaid their cargo and got paid and gone home if the normal thing happened. But because of the storm, there was this audience that heard Paul speak and saw the power of God at work that would never have happened if there was no storm. Do you know there's this uh, rabbi saying um, that is that men make their plans and God laughs at them? We can have our plans in our life. We can want to go one direction. We can think that this is where I'm heading and what's going on. That was a terrible storm for two weeks, bashed by the waves, not being able to see where they're going. And sometimes storms in life are hard, and I'm not denying that. Jesus said, in this world you have trouble, but fear not, for I have overcome the world. When we are in Christ and we trust in him and he carries us to places that we never expected, when things happen to us, the end result is sometimes far greater than we could have ever imagined. Bible says, my ways are higher than your ways, says the Lord. He has plans for you that you don't plan for and that sometimes in the midst of it you can't see. And yet it's his will and his desire for your life to have that unexpected result. I invite the musicians up. I know that some of you are facing some major storms in your life right now. A lot of you have been going through things for a very long time. Relationship issues, financial issues, health issues. Those are all sort of the physical world, but there's also the spiritual battle that's been going on for many of us as well. There's some... Even some psychological things that we're battling in our in our lives right now. Could it be that God is allowing that storm to happen to shake you up? To not just rely on what you've always relied on, to not just go down the, the path that's easy, but to shake you out of that, to pour you into something different. To reprioritize what's important in life because one day we're not going to stand before our maker he's not going to say hey great boat great holiday great mortgage being paid off he's going to say how have you served how have you loved what's important what have you pursued in your life is the storm allowing you to reprioritize your values Or is it allowing you to say, you know what, 
I can't see the stars. I can't navigate. I don't know where I'm going. This storm is relentless. I've lost hope. The only thing I can trust in is what he's promised, that he will take me home, that he will be with me, that he will guide me through every trouble that I have. And maybe, just maybe, there's blessing at the other side. There's an unexpected thing that we never knew possible if we travelled down our own path. But as we allow him to blow us this way and blow us that way, we come out the other side stronger. We come out the other side more, more faithful. We come out the other side growing in our discipleship because we've allowed him to do something in our lives that only he could do. Only his power had the power to do that. Let's stand and sing. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you promised to be with us. You are a promise keeper. We thank you for your word that is spoken, your word that we can hold on to that is true in the midst of a whole world that seems stormy right now, that seems chaotic. And whilst there's a chaotic world, we know that individually each and every one of us have our own storms. We have our own trials. Some trials that people know about and some trials that people have no idea about that only we do. But Lord, you know them. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us right now would be able to have the faith that Paul had to hold on to that trust that he would get to Rome before the Emperor Nero, that he would testify just as you said. And Lord, you've spoken things in our lives that we can hold on to, that when all seems dark, all seems lost, you, O oh God, are the only one we can put our hope in. You are the only one who has the power to save, both physically and spiritually. And so, Lord, as we sing this song, we just bring our trials, we bring our storms to you, and we say, Lord, we've lost hope. Do what only you can do. Lead us. Guide us. Strengthen us. Empower us. Help us to see what only you can see. Maybe give us a glimpse of what the end journey is, is, so that even though it's tough, even though it's hard, we know you're going to get us there. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, if you're going through something tough right now, as we sing this song, I encourage you to open up your heart to the Lord, for Him to just speak His words of truth into your life for him to minister to you, for him to to speak words that only he can whisper to your ear right now. And if the Lord's doing something in you, don't just leave it there. Pray with someone afterwards. We We can open up the front if you want to come down. There'll be team here to pray with you. Pray after. Just seek it out. Allow others to speak words into your life and to to heal you, to give you perspective, to give you the truth of what God is saying. Because sometimes we can't see that in the midst of the storm. We need one another to speak those words over us and to pray that into our lives. Would you do that? Let's sing this song and Lord, minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
that's our worship. How within your vast, you're in control. You are from the rest, you're in control. And you are from That concludes our service today. Um, if you're looking to uh, wanting to continue uh, to ha- spend some time in prayer, or um, you want to spend some time with someone else, uh, talk to someone, uh, the prayer room is going to be available after the service. Um, I hope you go into your weeks with peace. Uh, I hope you're blessed in whatever is happening in your life. And um, yeah, hopefully go into what's left of your weekends if you're enjoying a long weekend. Um, Do feel free to stay and join us for tea and coffee as well after the service. Thanks, Tim.